Namachari Shloridas Takur Kijai. Prem Shikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunitananda Shri Dvaita Gadanar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhaktivrinda Kijai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopina Shaimakunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Kijai. Vrindavan Dhamma Kijai. Matur Dhamma Kijai. Navadri Mayapur Dhamma Kijai. Jagannathuri Dhamma Kijai. Gangamaya Jumuna Devi Kijai. Bhakti Devi Kijai. Tulsi Maharani Kijai. Samaveta Bhaktivrinda Kijai. Gaur Premananda. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada Nima Om Vishnu Padaya. Krishna Prastaya Bhutale Srimati Bhakti Vinata Swami Niti Namane. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharani Yavasesasuni Vali Maskatyade Satani. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Uta Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamshta. Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Bitam Sam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Bitam Shcha Panchakapachu Bishcha Kripasindabhyavacha Patitanam Pavanesha Vaishnavavya Namo Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 28, Parentin Becomes a Woman in the Next Life. Text 8, and this is on August 25th, 2021, in Hawaii, over the internet. Atmanam Kanyaya Grastam Panchalam Aridushitan Duranta Chintam Apano Nalabetat Pratikriyam Atmanam Himself Kanyaya By Kala Kanya Grastam Being embraced Panchalan Panchala Aridushitan Infected by the enemies Duranta Insurmountable Chintam Anxiety Apanaha Having obtained Na not lepe achieved tat of that patikriyam counteraction the Prabhupada's translation when King Paranjana saw that all his family members relatives, followers servants, secretaries and everyone else had turned against him he certainly became very anxious, but he could not counteract the situation 
because he was thoroughly overwhelmed by Kalakanya. Kalakanya, again, is the daughter of time, in other words, by old age. Purport. When a person becomes weak from the attack of old age, the family members, servants, and secretaries do not care for him. He is then unable to counteract this. Thus he becomes more and more anxious and laments his frightful condition. So he became anxious, chinta. Atmanam kanyaya grastam panchalam aridushitam turanta chintam apano nalebe tat pratikriyam. When King Paranjana saw that all his family members, relatives, followers, servants, secretaries, and everyone else had turned against him, he certainly became very anxious. But he could not counteract the situation because he was thoroughly overwhelmed by Kalakanya. So this is a heavy description of so-called material love. Family, society, and love. And on the negative, a description of the difference between lust and love by just describing lust. The Bhagavatam warns us that the result of our so-called material affection is this. We're warned, and yet we don't believe it. The Bhagavatam, of course, frank, thankfully, also gives us a description of real love of real spiritual life, of what we are looking for in our society, friendship and love, and tells us how to eschew the false and to cultivate the real. So we are looking for real love in the society, friendship and love. We're, we're, we're thinking, my family, especially my family, Maybe friends will desert me. Maybe servants, paid servants will desert me, but not family. But this is the nature of lust. Lust means that I am serving for my own purposes. I'm doing something for someone else for my own purposes. I am using that person for my own purposes. That is lust. I see uh, the objects of the world and the living beings as the world as here to serve my purposes. When they serve my purposes, I take care of them, not because I care about them, but I take care of them because then they're better able to serve my purposes. I take care of my car because then I will have a working car. And I'll take care of my car because I care about the car. And I will take care of my family members because they do things for me. They give me money, they give me food, they give me affection, they give me sex, they give me, they give me something. They give me prestige. They give me a sense of security. So I take care of them because of what they give me and when they, won't, when they have no possibility of giving me anything anymore. I stop taking care of them because I'm not concerned about them. I'm concerned about what they can do for me. Therefore they say, laugh and the world laughs with you, cry and you cry alone. And I think we've all experienced that. If we're happy, if we're successful, people want to be around us. And if we're unhappy and we're suffering, people might help us for a little while, 
to see if they can fix us. Uh, But if we remain not fixed, they lose interest. I remember when we first, our family first moved to North Carolina in 1990, we had just come from Detroit, and in Detroit, we hired devotees to cook prasadam for the Gurukula. So we served breakfast and lunch, and we paid people. We paid for the boga, we paid the cooks. Because I was teaching all day, I didn't have time to cook on school days. And this way, all the students got a nice meal, and I, as the teacher, the other teachers, we didn't have to cook. So when we came to North Carolina, uh, my husband had closed his business. We didn't have the kind of income we had had before. And we were not paying the cooks and the boga out of tuition money. We were paying it out of our own business. And we decided that we could no longer afford to do that. So what I said to the community when we came is that if I'm going to teach, I don't, I'm not going to have the energy to also cook for my own family. And we also had kids boarding with us. I said, so the parents will need to make a commitment to have some rotation of cooking. So that went on. You know, every day some parent took responsibility to cook for us. I mean, they had to cook for their own families, I would assume, and, and they would bring extra. And this went on. It went on for a few months. And then gradually it decreased. Gradually be, oh, sorry, I can't do it today. And I didn't have time to find anyone else. And after some months, nobody cooked for us at all. We had to make some other arrangement. And I saw, you know, when it comes to long-term helping people out, uh, we're not so inclined to do that. I remember also uh, many years ago, my daughter was in a car accident. She was sledding in the snow and uh, she got hit by a truck and so for a while she was incapacitated for a while she was in the hospital for about five days and then uh, she was in a wheelchair and and so forth and she fully recovered but I remember thinking you know while she was recovering again we got a lot of help we got a lot of people bringing over prasadam we got a lot of people helping with her different jobs and services we had a lot of people helping and after some time again it petered out And I thought, if she had gotten hurt such that she was permanently crippled, then people wouldn't continue helping like that. It reaches a point where people stop helping if they think you're not going to get better. it It was kind of a stark realization. And this is, of course, what we're seeing with Paranjana. He's not going to get better. He's at the end of life. He's old. He's incapacitated. He doesn't have the strength to do anything for himself, and he doesn't have the strength to counteract the ill-treatment by his family, friends, and service servants. You know, this is a, it's a and, and they don't care anymore. He can't do anything for them. All the facility he had provided for them, he can't provide anymore, and they, they've lost interest in taking care of him. And this phenomena is being described here millions of years ago by Narada Muni. So this is not just a modern phenomenon of the family ignoring or even abusing their elderly or their disabled members. It's been a phenomenon for a very, 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 very long time. 
It's well known that elderly persons are dropped off in some sort of institutional home and the family doesn't visit very often. They don't call, they don't visit. And the people who work there, you know, many times they just are doing a job and they're not really that concerned. I mean, it's difficult when people are old and incapacitated and especially if they're mentally incapacitated. It can certainly very be very difficult. Uh, a couple years ago, when I went to the New York Rathiatra, I met some of my old friends from high school, from secondary school, and um, one of them I've been keeping up with over the years. But two of them it was the first time that I had seen them since we were in high school, and one of them was telling me how his wife had had a stroke, and his wife had been a friend of mine as well and that she had a stroke some years back that left her disabled both physically and mentally. And he was telling me how he hired 24-hour care, in-home 24-hour care, to take care of her, but whenever he was home, she wanted him to take care of her. She didn't want the hired caregiver to take care of her. And from his perspective, how true this was from her perspective, I have no idea, but from his perspective, she was not interested in doing anything at all to increase her capacity. That she simply felt defeated, that I am I am disabled mentally and physically and that's it, and that she wouldn't do anything. I had a, a similar thing I heard from a, in another situation about uh, the family member had brain cancer and the brain cancer had left him blind. And the, the treatment for the brain cancer, he, would, he would, had been overweight before, but the treatment for the brain cancer, the steroids, had greatly increased his weight so that he'd become morbidly obese and he'd become blind. And that he wasn't interested in doing anything to improve his situation or anything even to try to be happy in his situation. What I was told was before uh, getting brain cancer and going blind, He'd been an average television and movie viewer. He'd watched a tremendous amount of movies and television. And once he went blind, of course, he couldn't anymore, but he would still sit in front of the TV and have the shows going. And his family members said to him, well, now that you're blind, maybe you should try to listen to things on the radio instead or listen to audiobooks or, you know, something that's designed for those who don't see. And no, I, you know, he didn't want to make any changes. He didn't want to make any effort and so people become tired of taking care of those who are getting old, who are getting invalid, who you know, don't seem to be making any effort for their own happiness and their own improvement. You know, my old high school friend was telling me that, you know, he found taking care of his wife exhausting. There was no sense of reward in it for him anymore. And, um, you know, he was uh, very wealthy. He was still very good-looking. But he said, you know, look, I've been with my wife since, since we were 13 years old and we've been married for so many years. I feel a duty to take care of her, but he, he didn't find any pleasure in taking care of her. And in fact, you could see he had a lot of resentment towards taking care of her. And one wonders how long a person is going to be able to go on like that with, with uh, resentful caregiving, right? And there, there's a lot written about this, how the caregivers become exhausted. And, you know, I think all of us have some fear that we'll be 
in this sort of a situation that we'll be in a situation where we're helpless, like Paranjana, he's just helpless, where we're dependent, and that the people that we're dependent on are become tired. <laughs> they don't want to take care of us anymore. They, they lose interest in us, and we, we're so helpless that there's just nothing we can do about it. We, we just there, you know, they talk even about elder abuse. And this is something that all of us fear on some level, even if we're not old, that we fear being disabled in some way, you know, and, and such that will be a burden on others and other people will not want to take care of us. Because this is what actually happens. It's what actually happens. When, when a person is in misery, when they're poor, when they're disabled, their friends and family lose interest because they can no longer give any happiness, any sense gratification to these people. And it's one of the reasons why uh, in every culture of the world it's advised that one take care of the sick and one take care of the elderly. It's something, of course, that really pleases the Lord, that we take care of those who are less fortunate. But because of our lust, that we want to use others for our own purposes. We're not so inclined to do this. And it's not just that we're the victim, that you know other people are this or that, and so if I'm incapacitated, they won't love me anymore and just see how selfish they are. But it's it's something that is within all of us, this very deep selfishness and this very deep looking out for number one and not really wanting to give ourselves to those who can't do anything for us. So love is very different from this, and we all have a sense that love is very different from this. I think you know, we could say, practically speaking, all human beings understand that love is the opposite. That love means you give for the sake of love. Uh, that it doesn't matter whether you get something back. Now, it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, Krishna and the gopis, especially Krishna, has a whole analysis of relationships in the 32nd chapter of the 10th canto. When Krishna returns from having left in the Rasalila pastime, and the gopis say to him, you know, what kind of a selfish ingrate are you anyway, <laughs> uh, that you could have left us like that? And they say, you know, are you just a merchant? Do you, because here this, we're looking at this merchant mentality, I take care of people as long as they have something to give me, and when they don't, I, I'm not there anymore. So the gopis ask Krishna, you know, are you a merchant? Are you just having a mercantile exchange with us? Uh, do you love us conditionally? Do you love us unconditionally? Or are you ungrateful? And Krishna ends up delineating, I think, nine types of relationships we can have. And he says that the best relationship is where one gives without caring about getting something in return. And of course, at the very end of this interchange between Krishna and the gopis, he says... Uh, Actually, I cannot repay you. The love you're giving me, I cannot repay, which is interesting because he's God. Uh, he's unlimited, so one could think that he could repay uh, in millions of times more anything that anyone does. 
but he says, I cannot repay you. And he says something very interesting and very deep and very profound. He says, let your own love for me be your payment. And we might look at that and say either, well, that doesn't sound like a very good deal for the gopis, or what does that mean exactly? Uh, We could find this confusing and bewildering. But it is a great secret as to how we can uh, transform our own lust back into love. Now, when we transform our own lust back into love, then the lusty activities of others invoke our compassion and not our frustration and condemnation. You know, when we ourselves are in a mercantile mood of relationships and when we ourselves are in a false ego-centered, lust kind of relationship then we get very angry and bitter and disappointed when people don't reciprocate with us the way we feel that we deserve. And we end up delineating our, our sacrifices for them. You know, and I, I'm certainly Parenjana is doing this. He's thinking about, I gave this, to, I gave my servants this, and I gave my wife this, and I gave my children this, and I gave my family members this and this, and I did so much for them. And why are they not giving back to me? You know, it's like <laughs> you you buy something from a company and, you, you know, you I spend so much money at this company and they're not taking care of me. And you're thinking, I'll like that. Because one's satisfaction is external-based. One's satisfaction is for the senses and the mind. And one's satisfaction for the senses and the mind are dependent on something external, some external sense object, counting the mind also as a sense, the thinking, feeling, willing willing of the mind as a sense, that I'm requiring something from outside of myself to meet my needs I'm, and fulfill my desires. I'm requiring, uh, and to some extent this is dependent not just on things. There is no way I can get all of my needs met and all of my desires fulfilled simply from inanimate objects. I have a, you know, all of us have a great desire for communication and understanding and, and love and, and so forth. And so that requires, to fulfill those needs and desires, requires other living beings who have free will. Yes? So if I'm giving with the idea that I'm making a payment, I, I think, I, I haven't read his book, but someone was telling me how Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits, talks about an emotional bank account, filling others, filling or withdrawing from others' emotional bank accounts. So, you know, if we're thinking like that, I'm giving this to, the, to you, I'm giving this to you, and therefore I can expect something back. And when we don't get back what we expect, especially when we don't get it back in a time when we really need it. You know, I had someone pull this on me the other day. I had someone ask me for something and I said, I'm sorry, that's not something I'm willing to give. And the person said, but I have done so much for you. You are in debt to me and I am in a time of high need. And my response was, you don't have a need, you have a want. And I was thinking, okay, yeah, you've done a lot for me, but I've also done a lot for you. And the person got very angry with me. 
you know, I've done a lot for you, I'm really in need, why don't you give me what I'm demanding that you give me? And they, they got very angry and, and frankly quite nasty. So this is our, our problem. So that means we're not satisfied with the act of giving. What we believe is going to satisfy us is what we're getting back from the other. So Krishna's instruction to the gopis is very profound because he's saying, be satisfied with your giving. Be satisfied with your own feeling of love towards me. Don't have your satisfaction be dependent on how I treat you in exchange. Because the gopis were saying this, you're not treating us very nicely in exchange. We're giving everything to you and you're just leaving. You don't care, you just walk away. And Krishna says that that's, that's not what love is. Love is you're satisfied by the act of giving. Now, we all have experience of this, where we give something for the satisfaction of giving. If you think about a situation where you've given something where no one knows that you're the one who's given it. No one knows. Nobody mentions you in a festival. Oh, so-and-so gave this. Your name's not up on a plaque. Nobody thanks you because no one even knows that you gave it. So you don't get any type of reciprocation from others. But you have some satisfaction from inside. I've given this. Now, of course, on a false ego platform, that inner satisfaction is tainted by the false ego. In Rajagun, one will think, I've given this, therefore I am a very dharmic and religious person. See what a good person I am. And on the Sattvagun ego platform, it's, I've given this, just see how harmonious I am with the universe, just see how balanced I am, just see how good I am in a higher sense, how I am in connection, how I am in harmony. So either way, it's about stoking my ego, uh, even if other people don't stoke my ego, I am stoking my own ego inside <laughs> uh, by giving accolades to myself. And in fact, especially in Satvagun, one may say, I'm, I'm so much in harmony that I'm not dependent on the accolades from others like those low-class people in Rajagun who want their name in the history books and their statue in the park but I am satisfied just to be in harmony with the universe. So the kind, so we have some sense of, we all have some sense, I would assume, of finding happiness in giving without anything external in reciprocation, but we may still be having some internal false ego satisfaction of, yes, 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 just see how good I am. So, but that gives us a little conception of the possibility of being satisfied with loving without having anything in return. So imagine if, if Paranjana had this mood, then it wouldn't matter to him that his family, friends, servants, etc. weren't neglecting him. He wouldn't be counting the score and saying, well, I've given so much and what are they doing for me now that I'm in this helpless position? He would say, I'm so glad that I was able to give to my family when I was young and healthy. Uh, whether they appreciate it or not, whether they're grateful or not, whether they help me or not, 
how wonderful it is that I had this opportunity to give to them. And he would be satisfied internally with that. Now on the platform of bhakti, one is satisfied like that, but instead of for the internal, instead of for the accolades of others, oh you're so selfless, and instead of even for my own internal accolades, oh you're so selfless, or you're so giving, or you're so wonderful, or you're so in harmony, what we'd be working for is Krishna's satisfaction. As I like to say many times, Prabhupada with the story of Akura going to Vrindavan, Akura was thinking, Krishna and Balaram will call me Uncle Akura, and that way my whole life will be successful. And Srila Prabhupada says, if we're not trying to be recognized by Krishna, our whole life is condemned. And Srila Prabhupada explains that the residents of Vrindavan just want to see Krishna smile. So in such a mentality, one is giving love to get some reciprocation from the pleasure of someone else. But that someone else is God. So this tendency to work for some sort of acknowledgement, some kind of recognition, some kind of gratitude, comes from the fact that our original position is to work for the acknowledgement and the gratitude of God. Not necessarily in the form that God will do something specifically for us or even relate to us specifically in a particular way as we may think that we want or we need, but that internal sense of being filled with love for Krishna. As Krishna explained, when one gains this, one thinks there is no greater gain. One is filled with boundless transcendental happiness experienced through transcendental senses. Yet yapma supersedesi, the soul is completely satisfied. If when we're giving to our family, if when we're giving to our friends, if when we're giving to our servants, if our consciousness is, I'm doing this giving so that Krishna will be pleased. Krishna asked me to be kind to all living entities and not to be envious. Narada Muni explains how we should be joyful upon seeing superiors, make friendship with equals, help those who are less fortunate. And we do this for the sake of God. There's a quote attributed to uh, Teresa of Calcutta, the recent uh, Catholic who was canonized by the Pope, who served the lepers in Calcutta. And it, I don't know if she said it or not, but it's attributed to her that uh, even if people are, are cruel, you should be kind anyway, because you're not really doing it for them. It was never about them. You were doing it for God. Whether she was able to, whether she said that, whether she was able to live that, I don't know. But the principle is valid. That the reason that we should give is not to get something back, because, my dear friends, we will not get it back. <laughs> Uh, we'll all find ourselves at some point, maybe not at the moment of death like Paranjana, but we'll all find ourselves at some point where we're in need and those people that we helped are not there for us when we're in need. But we'll all find that. I'm just thinking when I... Soon after I had joined the Hare Krishna movement, I was living in the ashram, the ladies' ashram in Chicago. And as most of us did in those days, we were very young. I mean, I was 18 and we had you know, youthful energy and enthusiasm, and so I was spending half my time out at Chicago Airport distributing books, 
and half of my time doing service at the temple. I used to wash the deity's plates and polish the silver and make the garlands and so forth. And at a certain point, I got sick. I got sick with strep throat, although I didn't know that, but I was sick with. And so I couldn't do any service. I was staying in a room at the far end of the hallway. And the lady, it was the ladies' quarters, and there were also some grahasta couples that lived there. And because I had strep throat, I, I had lost my voice. I could only speak in a, in a whisper. I had a bell next to me. Someone gave me a bell. And if I needed something, I would ring the bell. But I could sometimes ring the bell for hours, even to ask for some water. And the room that I was in, uh, later, I, after I got well, I cleaned the room. And there was, like, stuck-on gunk, um, like black stuff on the floor. And nobody had really cleaned in there very well. So I'm just lying in a, on a blanket on the floor in this, in this dirty room and nobody bringing me. I mean, um, hours, five, six hours could go by and nobody would bring me anything. I did have a tape recorder. I was listening to Prabhupada's lectures. Uh, eventually I did go to the hospital, although I was told when I got there that had I waited another day or two, I would have died. And... It was quite fascinating to me. It was the first time in my life that I had been neglected when sick. Up until then, when I was sick, I had always been nicely taken care of. And it really surprised me that, that I had been neglected like that. So such things will happen. And we'll be in, in a difficult situation and, and, and nobody will be there for us. And if then, instead of feeling, you know, confused or angry or resentful, we meditate on how fortunate we are that we have been able to love others for the sake of Krishna. So this is what we are supposed to cultivate. And if we don't cultivate it, even if we are ostensibly externally devotees, we'll become very bitter and angry and frustrated and helpless and like this Paranjana. And we see this. We see people, you know, I gave so much to society, devotee society and then I get treated like this. We see this, this very often. So we want to cultivate real love because what's going to satisfy us is that. that that's the Bhagavatam says, that's what will satisfy us. Second, what other people treat us will not satisfy us. What will satisfy us is our own expansive love. Now, the only way we can have our own expansive love is if we are connected with Krishna. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnapurnadudachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnam Eva Vasishate. If we're connected with Krishna, Krishna has this unlimited expansive love. And if we're connected with Him, then we are able to be loving without needing anything from anybody else. We can just give love. If I try to give love, out of just my own stock. <laughs> my own stock of love as a jiva is exhausted very soon. You know, I, I, I can't just do that. I can't on the material level imitate the great devotees and just give, give, and be happy with giving. It, it doesn't work. But if I'm connected with Krishna then I'm drawing from this unlimited source of Krishna. And then I'm really a conduit for Krishna's unlimited love through the, to the jivas. And then what I'm taking pleasure in 
is not that I am the doer. I'm not thinking that I am the doer, that I am the giver, like in Tamagun or Rajagun or Sattvagun. I'm thinking I am the agent, as Krishna says to Arjuna. They've already been put to death by my arrangement, and you, Osavisachan, can be but an instrument in the fight. So what I'm happy at is being Krishna's instrument to give his unlimited love. And as this unlimited love is always flowing into me, I always am unfilled. I don't need someone else to fill me. And like Kunti prays, you know, let me be like the Ganges to the sea, where you are my only object of affection. That I don't need to have some situation where I need something from others, or I want something from others. Now one may say, well, this is a very high platform, and I'm not on that platform yet. Okay, but if we're not able to at least try to function on that platform, then the problem is we're going to become very disappointed over and over and over and over and over again when those to whom we give so much with the idea of getting something back don't give us back what we want or what we need. And they especially, like in today's verse, will not give us back when we are in need and when we are in help or when we are in helplessness. Why? Because in that state we have nothing to give them. And especially if that state seems like it's going to be continual, then people stop taking care of us. You know? And if we just give an excuse that, well, I'm not on that platform, I can't, then this is where we're going to end up like Paranjana. So instead, to start working on that platform as much as we can, and as we try to work on that platform, Krishna will help us that I want to act as a conduit, as an instrument of Krishna's unlimited love. I don't have unlimited love. I cannot be satisfied just by giving. But Krishna has, and he can. And if he empowers me, then I have and I can. And then, as Krishna says, I have no need to depend on any other living being. I mean, we find, like Rishabhdev, actually practice this kind of mentality. Maharaj Judas do also. They practice wandering the earth in such a way that people would mistreat them. As a, as a practice, as a discipline, let me practice being in a situation where people will mistreat me and being able to be immune from it. Not because I become hard-hearted. Like I had one... Uh, devotee in a position of authority say to me, well, you just have to develop a thick skin. And I thought, that's not really what we're looking for. We're looking for a very soft heart that's always melted and yet not vulnerable. Imagine this. An always melted soft heart that's not vulnerable. Materially, if you have an always melted soft heart, You're going to be very vulnerable. But if our heart is soft and melted and we're always connected with Krishna, then I'm not vulnerable because nobody can hurt me because I already have everything that I need. All my needs are being met constantly with this ever-flowing stream. And so what can anybody give me or take away from me? The Sarchatina Kanchati, Samasa Vesubhuteshu, Bhad Bhaktim Labhate Paran. 
I have nothing to gain and nothing to lose because I have everything from Krishna. Then I have no vulnerability, and yet I am soft and giving. This is what we are to practice. This is what it means, bhakti yoga, yukta, to be linked with Krishna in practice. And then, dharamiju, uh, dharavradi, these miseries of life, uh, this helplessness, uh, we're never, then we're, we're always connected with Krishna. Uh, we're always connected with Krishna. It doesn't matter. Uh, but externally we should expect this. Prabhupada went through this also with his family and so forth. If we think we're going to set up some kind of a society where this doesn't happen, then we're not reading the Bhagavatam because this has happened for millions and billions of years. So we want to feel safe and protected always by Krishna. We want to have all of our needs met by Krishna. We want to practice that. And then we can be happy by our own giving. So questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions... So you're speaking a lot about the whole class, really, lust versus real love. And yes. Really wanting nothing in exchange. Um, how wrong is it to want, because I feel like I've got that somewhat in my heart, serving Krishna, wanting things that will help my Krishna consciousness, like help me control my lust, uh, give me spiritual strength, Take, take away my, my desire to enjoy this material world so that I can love you. I mean, well, I then that's, that's, that's accepting what's life. favorable and rejecting what's unfavorable. But even we cannot be dependent like that. Like it's, like it's said in regard to Vasudev dealing with Kamsa on the chariot that a devotee doesn't wait for favorable situations to discharge their devotional service. So, uh, you know, we are supposed to accept what's favorable and reject what's unfavorable. Uh, but to whatever extent we can actually do that. I mean, we're not... The, the material world is unfavorable. <laughs> the material world is unfavorable. What are you going to do? What we want to reject is our materialistic consciousness. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. You know, I want to reject my consciousness that is dependent upon material circumstances. That's really what I want to reject as unfavorable. Because that's what's killing me. I mean, yes. You know, I I recently got a new piece of furniture. I mean, it's not like... It's not like you can't do things like that. Uh, But ultimately, that's not the issue. Thank you. 
Um, I, Hare Krishna. Um, I just wanted to add that I, I'm sure this has been brought up many times before, but um, ISKCON needs to do something about this uh, care of Vaishnavas at the end of their life or even when they're uh, just you know, terribly sick like the way you were. Um, you know, and I've heard so many other examples of this kind of thing going on and like Suresh Prabhu who's given his lifetime to <clears throat> excuse me uh, he was doing so much service for the BBT and then just going out and distributing books um, bringing in Lakshmi to temples for years and then I heard he got terribly sick uh, in, in Florida, and um, I can't remember which temple it is, but he really needed shelter, he really needed care, and the younger devotees, um, I don't don't know what temple it was, but they told him, no, you cannot stay here, you're not contributing anything to the temple, and he had basically nowhere to go, and uh, it was just absolutely shocking that you we know, don't have something set up, or um, at least you know some classes or some some organization where these things can be addressed. Because when you're young, like we were, you don't think you're ever going to get old. You don't think this is going to happen to me, and, you know, um, so it's, it's, it really is a problem, and, and the Christians are way ahead of us as far as uh, that goes, and they have some uh, arrangement for the retirement of the priests and nuns, and um, anyway, uh, I know you're aware of this, and Many others are. It's, I just wonder when, you know, we're going to start doing something like that. Because that's just shocking and it's so sad to hear that you almost died, you know, and you were left at the end of the hallway, far away, and no one taking care of you. And um, just, it's just very sad. So. It is very sad, and we should do. It is very sad, and we should do something. But it's also the nature of the world. And if it was the nature of the world millions of years ago, it's not going to stop being the nature of the world. Right. Okay. I want to. I want to add something. The thing that's keeping us here. Is an exploiting mentality. Ramananda, can you take care of the background? I don't know how to do that. I don't know where it's coming from. Okay. So, Pranjan, it's understandable. Uh, you know, he's being embraced by Kalakanya, daughter of time. He's becoming invalid. He's becoming unable to provide the way he did in his youth. He still has desires and his family members are losing interest. And that's a natural thing. I, I, I completely follow that. That, you know, Prabhupada, I think he mentioned in his own life, as soon as, that you know, the money went, everybody loses interest. 
you know, because <laughs> that's, you know, that's the world. That's the world. But um, sadhus are different, you know. Uh, Bodhain Marsh, takes care of elderly sadhus, uh, you know. Uh, that's just and, and taking care of sadhus or a person, serious devotees, or devotees that have done service in their lives. There's great benefit. You know, you derive great benefit. You please Krishna by doing that. So, yes, something is very wrong with this picture. That the devotees that have given a lot of their energy, invested their time, their youth to the movement that, you know, they're, they're going to get the cold shoulder if they're, you know, a liability rather than an asset. So something's very, very wrong with this picture. Some, some, something's missing here. And, and it's more blessed to give than receive. You can have an experience like that, you know, unless you're completely, you know, caught up in some miserly consciousness. You know, the... Uh, Bhakti Tirtha Swami, he had an expression, uh, school of love. I, I like that, meaning that this world, rather than looking at it negatively, it can be looked at as an opportunity. You know, to, to every day we have, it gives us opportunities to make choices to act in a more loving way towards others. And then, and then Krishna's pleased by that, especially if you're doing that with devotees. So, you know, isn't this where the rubber hits the road? I mean, meaning, you know, we have all these high philosophical ideas, but then, you know, if it doesn't reach a practical plane, then what's the use of all this? Definitely. At the same time, at the same time, we have to be very, very, very careful that when it comes to ourselves that we don't use everything you said that's true to get a sense of entitlement and a sense yeah, that I've, I, you know, I, I've done all my sacrifices, therefore I deserve. If we're, if we're going to talk about that we need to do this as a society, I think there's widespread agreement on that. And there are people who are working in that direction. I don't think anyone, at least theoretically, would disagree with that at all. People may disagree with it in terms of, are you willing to do something? <laughs> but in terms of, at least theoretically, everybody agrees with that. Again, the danger is that in agreeing with that, and it certainly is absolutely 100% true, that I don't want to have a sense of entitlement personally. In other words, I don't want to go to a place where, well, these people are sadhus, where they're devotees, this is where the rubber hits the road, why aren't you taking care of me? Right. As long as it doesn't go to me, as long as it doesn't go to why aren't you taking care of me, then we're okay. Right. Then then, then it's good and it's valid and it's important and it's definitely a priority. And of course there are people working on it. You know, we have Giri Rashwani who set up the hospice in Vrindavan. I think there's devotees who are already working on building a retirement home in Tucson. I think there's people working on a retirement home in Alachua. So there are, you know, it's a, it's a need that the devotee community is recognizing more and more and working in that direction. And again, you know, the only caveat is not to go to, what about me? And so if I'm neglected, if I'm left to just say, well, that, that's the nature of this place. 
that that's, that's what happens. Whether people are sadhus or not, it's what happens. Amari Krishna Rake K, Rake Krishna Mari K, and I accept whatever Krishna gives me as perfect, and I, it feels better to give, as you said, than to receive, and I take happiness in my giving. You know, I, I got together with uh, a, a, you know, a, a partner about 15 years ago, thinking, okay, um, she's a nurse, she's, you know, it, 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 it seemed like a good idea at the time, because it, it doesn't look like I'm taking sannyas and I'm going to be, you know, a guru or anything like that, and then I'm going to have disciples that are going to whatever so uh, and then I had somebody that possibly in old age there, there would be some arrangement so I, I wouldn't be you know a burden to you know I wouldn't end up somewhere else anyway but I, I ended that relationship for other reasons and and um, and one of the thoughts that entered my mental system is, you know, that I want to do this, you know, illustrated Gita for Prabhupada. I want to do some other books if I can. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, that's the way I want to spend my energy. And I don't want somebody, you know, uh, distracting me from that uh, too much, over, you know, overly distracting me from that. And so uh, the thought entered my mind, I'm willing to die in the gutter. I don't care. Like, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't care. But I, I do feel bad that, you know, we haven't, we don't have softer hearts for devotees and, and, and uh, like I mentioned, Bodhain Maharaj and others, they, they recognize uh, lifelong Vaishnavas and then they give them shelter at the yeah, end. I think, I they, think. Yeah. I think you've nicely summarized uh, all the main the main points here. That you know we should be willing to die unloved and unattended in the gutter, and uh, at the same time we should be trying as much as possible to take care of others, especially when they can't do anything for us, and especially when they're in a helpless or needy situation, even if it's a long term thing. Krishna will be pleased. Krishna yes. will be pleased. To do that, what, to what please, are we trying please. to do here? Yes. What are we, all we yes. want to do is please Krishna. Yes. So that's right up the alley. That's exactly. You've summarized it very well. <laughs> I